2: Hello and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One: A Conversation of Hope for Tuesday, January 6, 2009. I'm Cherie Aranga with my guest, Kristen Selby Gonzalez. Kristen is trained in Sunrise and the Alert Program, certified in the Wilbarger Protocol, a bone conduction provider for the Listening Program, and director of autism education for Enzymedica. But more than that, Kristen has moved her son Jackson far forward on the road to recovery. Kristen, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Kristen, please tell us about Jackson, how he was when he was born, and how he developed early on. Okay. Well,
3: Jackson, he was born um, he was born a big baby. He was born 11 pounds, one ounce, uh, 24 and a half inches long, and just a very, very healthy child. And he was developing very typical. I mean, he sat up um, right on track. He crawled. He walked. Um, he said his first words at nine months, um, which was da-da. Um, and he was doing everything that he was supposed to do, right, you know, hitting all of his milestones. And so you had no concerns? I had no concerns in the beginning. I mean, he really, he was really just hitting all the milestones. And um, we really didn't see um, anything change until um, after his uh, pediatrician uh, visit um, when he had his vaccinations.
2: How old was he then?
3: He was 15 months. And what happened? Um, Well, we saw um, immediately, actually, um, the very next day, his leg swelled up the size of a golf ball, and he started to limp. And we took him in to the pediatrician the very next day, and she sent us to um, orthopedic surgeons, and she wasn't quite sure why the limp was starting. And they really couldn't figure it out either, and they basically put him on different antibiotics. They thought maybe he might have some fluid in his hip, but again, people were really guessing And at that time, we really saw the little boy that was developing very typically and talking at this point um, to really regress. Um, Within about a month, um, the limp went away, as mysterious as it came, and I started noticing that the language um, was really um, diminishing. He wasn't talking anymore. He wasn't looking at me, and he just seemed very lifeless.
2: What did he do and start to do instead of talking to you?
3: Well, what he started doing? He started to pull my arm and trying to um, almost more of a grunt kind of noise. Um, he would whine and cry um, or he just wouldn't he wouldn 't um, even appear to um, be part of i guess in our world. He would just sit there and I would I could remember giving him food and he would eat it up very fast and i didn 't know he was hungry and um, he didn't um, have any concerns of, um, he didn't voice any concerns. He just pretty much either would whine or um, pull me, or he wouldn't do anything at all. And I can remember this one time, um, real, about two months after the vaccinations, I was sitting in my living room, and I was pushing the ball towards Jackson. And I, we had played this game several times. And I was pushing the ball and trying to get him just to say mama or ball or anything. And the ball just, I remember, it kept hitting him kept hitting him over and over and over again, and he sat there as, as though he was the shell in his body, and nothing happened, and this went on for hours, and by the time my husband came home, I was hysterical, and I knew something was wrong, um, which led me down to trying to figure out what happened.
2: And Kristen, you have a story about a time before this regression, before this market, and... Um definite regression, that you heard Jackson say mama before yeah. this all happened.
3: Yeah, well, before before um, the day we got the vaccinations, some of the last words that I heard from Jackson were no mama, no, um, as we were getting the vaccinations. And I remember asking the pediatrician at that time, I remember asking her, you know, is can anything be linked to autism? Um, Do they have any studies that show that this could, you know, contribute to that? Um, At the time, she told me no, that um, basically there was no trace, um, there was no connection, and that, um, you know, everybody's getting the vaccinations and this is what I need to be doing. Um, And so I trusted her. Um, I knew she had the best intention, um, but I did. I trusted her that it would be okay. And those were the last words I heard from Jackson, and I still, I still um, hear them in my dreams at times. Um, and it was kind of that gut feeling I had gotten to, you know, perhaps not do it, um, but I did it anyways. I moved forward, and um, you know, I at the time you, you just do the best you can as a mom. You think that you're doing the best, and you listen to the the experts at the time. And what's funny about that is that that same pediatrician, she's just amazing, and I absolutely love her. Um, she, um, her nephew ended up having autism and um basically um she then decided at that moment that she was going to spread out the vaccinations and wasn't going to give them all at once because when Jackson had his they were they were I think seven um combined at that day. Oh my goodness. Including the flu, the flu vaccination that day I remember.
2: <laughs> well, Kristen, you brought up a a really good point. I mean, um when when my son was vaccinated, I literally thought in my head the words, "The FDA protects my child," mm-hmm. and I too asked um, questions and uh, was given, you know, the false reassurance and misinformation like you were given. Um, so, what would you say to moms who are who feel a sense of guilt?
3: Yeah, I've I've kind of struggled with that, especially in the beginning. But you know, I know for myself that you really just you have to let it go because we were doing the best we knew how to do. I mean, I know I see other parents out there that don't, you know, take their children to get their annual checkups or their monthly checkups when they're first born and and I wanted to be one of those parents that, you know, I, I remember interviewing my pediatrician when I was pregnant and reading all the books that you're supposed to read when you're pregnant, like what to expect and And I really tried to follow the guidelines that I thought I was supposed to be doing and I I don't regret that. I was being the best mom I knew how to be at that time. And, you know, I would say, you know, really just realize that you are a good mom and even right now, I mean, it's not like you did anything wrong. You did what you thought was the best thing for your child. So I know for me, I, I sometimes, I struggle with that when I think about the last words but I also know I move forward past that, and, you know, I we are where we are today because I can move past that.
2: Right. Very good. Yes. So this turns out to, to be a story of triumph for Jackson and, and for you and your family and, and so many other children because, as, you, as you've said, uh, progress for one is hope for all. Is that the way you've said it?
3: Yeah, progress for one. Progress for one provides hope for all, and that's that's what I that's the message I really like to to send out there. Because you know, so many people will say, "Well, my child's recovered," or "My child, you know, um, is you know f- totally typical and mainstream in school." And we forget about the kids that are really progressing and they are completely transformed from where they first started. And I really like to celebrate those children as well.
2: Great, great. Let's backtrack a little bit. Um, so you you were there on the floor, and and Jackson wasn't uh, responding um, appropriately to the rolling of the ball. You knew something was wrong. What were professionals prophesying about Jackson's future when he was very young? There.
3: Well, I can um, rewind a little bit. When I first thought something was wrong, he I took him to professional. I took him to get evaluated um, by the neurologist, and. This is something maybe important for some parents to realize. The first evaluation I got, they told me nothing was wrong. The second evaluation I got, they told me nothing was wrong. The third time um, I went in wasn't when I finally got the diagnosis, but that was after already putting him into speech class with myself, trying to figure out how to help him, set him up for every play date. I remember one professional telling me, nothing's wrong with your child. He's an only child. Go home and have another one. He's just lonely. And I remember thinking, like, I was crazy, like, I knew something was wrong. Well, finally, after I got the diagnosis, um, at least it it was kind of like a bittersweet. Like, I at least knew that I wasn't crazy, that there was definitely something wrong. Um, However, the prognosis for Jackson was that there really was no hope. They told me the best thing I could do for Jackson was to get him to eat with a spoon and fork and to get him potty trained by the time he was 8, because typically at 8 they told me that children... We'll go into group homes, and they went on to tell me that once a duck, always a duck. Um, they were very um, clear that there was really not much we could do for Jackson and that the, the therapies out there would be best to kind of help them help Jackson later on and help Jackson just to kind of cope a little bit, but there was really, there was really no hope for him. Um, they told me he was never going to be able to talk to me, that he was never going to look at me, and I remember one neurologist. Sitting there, and I remember sitting in her office, and she said, your son does not know the difference between you and the chair that you're sitting on.
2: That's horrible, and um, you had also told me that, uh, if I recall correctly, that someone told you to go home and grieve for the child you thought you had?
3: Yes, absolutely. They told me to go home and grieve for the child that I thought I had, and that maybe I should have more children because this this one wasn't going to be what I dreamt he was going to be. Um, so it was almost like they were telling me just to, like, bury him. And at the time, he was only two-and-a-half years old. And I remember thinking, like, you know, he's two-and-a-half. How are we burying a two-and-a-half-year-old? And, a half year old? and um, I remember sitting in um, one of the professionals' office, and this lady kept um, interrupting the, um, the doctor and kept asking her, oh, we're going to be going to lunch soon. What can, you know, what can we get you? And the doctor kept saying, one more moment, I'm with Ms. Gonzalez right now. One more moment, I don't know what I want for lunch. Now, at the time, she's telling me, you know, things like, you know, there's no hope, once a duck, always a duck, and telling me what my child's future is going to look like. So I'm sitting there, and my stomach is feeling, like, very queasy, and I feel like I almost want to pass out. I wish I was savvy enough at that time to look at her and say, you can't even decide what you want for lunch, but you want to decide my child's whole future. <laughs> I wish I could wow. go back in time and do that. <laughs>
2: Touche. Good point. Good point. So obviously, and, and, and Kristen, I, I happen to think that hope is a very powerful intervention.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. I feel like that is that is kind of what has, you know, given me the momentum to keep going forward was having that hope and. And training myself and learning new techniques and, and really surrounding myself with people that believe the same, you know, concepts and beliefs that I believe that they, these children are capable and these children are possible and it is, these children, um, you know, they're capable of just amazing things and, you know, maybe not every child is going to quote unquote recover, but every child I believe can absolutely progress and, can, you know, be the best that child can be. Excellent.
2: Well, when we come back, we'll talk with Kristen about the uh, diet, biomedical treatment, sensory integration modalities, and educational behavioral interventions that she used to move Jackson forward on his road to recovery. We'll be right back.
5: Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America health and wellness channel tune in for your guide to nutrition energy sex and survival
0: your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Terry. We're
2: back with Kristen Selby-Gonzalez and before the break Kristen was explaining how she didn't accept the negative prophecies that the mainstream medical professionals gave her about her son Jackson, much to his benefit, she had this great intervention called HOPE. And Kristen, uh, as we said, you used diet, biomedical treatment, sensory integration modalities, and educational behavioral intervention. Let's start with diet. We know that there are various therapeutic diets. Please tell us about them and what you did and what you saw with Jackson from doing it.
3: Sure. Um, Well, we first started the gluten-free, casein-free diet, and um, and what I want to really be clear when I talk about this is that we we started the gluten-free, casein-free diet, and we didn't see a lot of change in the beginning, Um, and I know I've talked to a lot of parents, and they'll tell me, well, the diet doesn't work because we did the gluten-free, casein-free diet, and we saw nothing. And what I want to really emphasize is that when we switched and we went to another level, we went to another level called the Specific Carbohydrate Diet, which is also known as the SCD Diet, and we, was, we did the dairy-free version of that diet, is where we really saw some radical changes in the beginning. Um, we, and, and really the difference between those was we were still taking out the gluten and the casein um, and the dairy. Um, but, however, we took additional, the corn, potato, and rice, and those seem to also be triggering something in Jackson. So the reason I really want to emphasize that is because, like I said, I talk to so many parents, and they'll tell me, you know, the diet doesn't work. We tried the gluten-free, casein-free diet. And I want to let them know that if, if that, for some reason, that, and I almost think of it as, like, level one, If that diet doesn't, like, if you don't see a lot and that diet doesn't, let's say, quote-unquote work, go on to the next and see if there's something else that might be triggering something for your child. So the next one was the SCD diet. I'm sorry?
2: I'm sorry, what about soy? Because soy is not included in the SCD diet either.
3: No, we took away soy, um, and the reason was not because we saw really anything negative with Jackson. I had just read so much about it. I just Because he was so sensitive, I just didn't want to even um, go down that route of giving him the soy. Um, And so we did not give the soy. Soy we took out completely um, and really limited um, any of the fruits in the beginning of the SCD diet as well um, because we noticed that there was a lot of hyperactivity when um, the fruit was given in the beginning. Um, Now, I messed up, and I have to be honest with you. I messed up when I first did the SCD diet, and what I mean by that is... I pulled all the weeds out and didn't replant any of the seeds, meaning that here he is um, killing, in a sense, all the bad bugs and getting rid of all these bad uh, bugs in his gut, and I didn't um, add really any probiotics. And so we started to see him, in a sense, start regressing from that diet. Um, his stomach started to kind of get that little swelling and bloating, and um, his eyes got the dark circles around them. and. He was really having a difficult time having bowel movements. And I wasn't sure at the time that's what I, I – I wasn't aware that I had messed up. So we moved on to another diet called the Body Ecology Diet, which had a lot of fermented foods, and, um, and like, which is almost like a sauerkraut if you don't know what a fermented food is, um, and food combination. And we had seen some great results with that as well. And we really started seeing his gut starting to heal and just recently, we've gone back now to the SCD diet, and I've done it now the right way. <laughs> um, and we did the intro part of um, the SCD diet, and really now I have a much better understanding. So but in the beginning, we, we really weren't um, understanding a lot. It was a lot of, kind of uh, And so I really wanted to emphasize We're having
2: some technical difficulty. I need to apologize to our listeners. We're having some uh, with the phone lines at the station. Uh, Kristen, can you talk again so I can see
3: if we can hear you? Yeah, um, I have a hard time hearing you so I'm not quite sure are you able to hear me at well? I don't know if listeners can hear you. Uh, let's see if our sound technician is nearby. William, are you listening? Okay. Uh, well, let's just hope for the best and i like to let our you again. Oh, I can finally hear I have not heard you for the last few moments. So,
2: okay. okay, I was letting listeners know that if we're not able to transmit your answers due to the phone lines at the network, that we will repeat the program on the Voice of America Health and Wellness channel and or Autism One radio. And um, so I heard you up to the point where you did the body ecology diet with fermented foods and then went back to specific carbohydrate diet, I assume, doing it dairy-free? Yes,
3: very Um, and that's important, too, because I know um, a lot of times people will start researching, and the one thing I want to say, too, is I, I talk to a lot of parents, and they, you know, and I, I always tell them I wish I could tell them what they want to hear, but I really need to tell them what they have to hear, <laughs> because yes. what... Exactly, because a lot of times, you know, it would be easy if I could say, yes, you know, give them the dairy, give them the cheese, you know, go ahead and let them have some chips from time to time. But unfortunately, I have not seen that work, at least with my own son. So I always try to tell parents, you know, what I know to be true, at least with my son. And sometimes it is a harder, a harder road to take, um, but I want to be able to see, the, you know, the best results when it comes to digestion for my son. And so I really strongly um, advocate to really look at the diets and don't give up if one doesn't seem to really be working. Look and see, you know, for the next level. And, again, I like to think of them as levels, um, and and that way it's not saying that the gluten-free, dairy-free, you know, casein-free version doesn't work. It just means there might be something else contributing to the factors of why you're not seeing um, great results.
2: Well, um, I just want to let listeners know that if you're interested in more information about the specific carbohydrate diet, you can go to www.pecanbread.com www.pecanbread, and find out the um, SCD legal way to do things. Um, some uh, children can't tolerate the dairy, but I know, Kristen, that the SCD diet does have, um, for, for people who are able to tolerate dairy, um, they have... A way to make goat yogurt that puts probiotics into the system. Did you have to use instead SCD legal uh, probiotic supplements, or did, did did was Jackson able to get the probiotic effect from the fermented foods?
3: Um, we did both. Um, uh, now, that's um we we actually make our own um, in sauerkraut, um, so he gets the ferment fermentation from that. But um, yes, absolutely, we did the um, the probiotic that is SCD legal. And another thing to talk about with regarding the pecanbread.com website, it's a great website, and they even have counselors on that website if you're interested. If you're a new parent and you don't know where to churn, that might be something to look into as well.
2: Uh-huh, and uh, the book behind all of this is called Breaking the Vicious Cycle by Elaine Gottschall, um, and uh, that book can be used as a springboard and then, uh, a lot of the people who post on the specific carbohydrate diet on, on pecan bread the listserv have children who are on the spectrum, but it 's a diet that helps people uh with many more uh challenges than autism so.
3: that 's correct that's correct and another another great website um is the gluten free casein free diet website, of course, and then also um if people are interested, the body ecology diet dot com website's another Great website. Just for more resources and options.
2: Is Jackson still on a the therapeutic diet?
3: Yes, he's still on the therapeutic diet, um, and he's, uh, he's doing very well on the diet. Um, we've we've changed the diet several times, um, and you know, just trying to figure out what works for him. Um, and that's another thing is don't be so afraid to change. I know for myself, um, sometimes you get really comfortable, and it's it's. Um, it's very easy to say, oh, I know where to go in the grocery store. I know what food my child's going to eat. But also recognize when it's not working and to either take it another level or maybe change it or maybe talk to a you know a consultant or a nutritionist to kind of see maybe what's not working because I know even for me the change after you know, doing body ecology for over a year and seeing results but then seeing him kind of plateau having to go back and say, okay, let me look back at this SCD diet and see what I can do and pull from that was also kind of scary. So, But then I was so glad I did because the results I'm seeing are just amazing.
2: Right. Working with a Defeat Autism and experienced up-to-date Defeat Autism Now uh, doctor and a nutritionist who's well, who are both well-versed in the real uh, physiological conditions underlying an autism label uh, diagnosis uh, is really a great combination. So you know what we didn't do, Kristen? We didn't give people the background. Perhaps we have some listeners new to the diagnosis of why the diet is so important, why the gut is so important to recovery and cognition.
3: Oh, OK. Well, you know, this is this is a theory out there. And I know there's, um, there's more science that's looking like it's backing it up, but I'll call it a theory. Um, basically what we're seeing, at least with my son and I've seen with other children, is they have a real sensitivity to some of these foods. Um, Some people want to call it an allergy. Some people call it a sensitivity. Um, One thing, too, to kind of back up a little bit is I've talked to a lot of parents that will say, I've had my child allergy tested and they're not sensitive to gluten. They're not sensitive to dairy. um, I can give them these foods. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're not having an issue digesting these foods. Um, and so it might be something to look into to still maybe take them away for a little bit. Um, what's happening is what, what we're noticing is these children, in a sense, are having um, the gluten, in a sense, think of your stomach and think of like little holes in your stomach. And these proteins are leaking through the holes and getting into the bloodstream and kind of giving it that, um, some people call it an opiate effect, some people call it, um, I've heard it now, called an opioid. I believe, effect. Um, and it's almost as though these Kids are on drugs, and so a lot of times um, it's like they're getting their high. They're getting their fix. I guess. Um, we, a lot of times people will say, oh, my child's so happy. They're just always smiling. Well, when are they happy? Are they happy after you're giving them, you know, uh, chicken nuggets and french fries? Are they happy, you know, after giving them the pretzels and the milk and the cheese? Um, because if that is the case, <laughs> typically from what I've seen and with my own son at least, that is when um, they're having that kind of like natural high effect.
2: Right. Okay. We are, when we come back from break, we are going to talk about digestive enzymes and how they can be helpful, and sensory integration, educational behavioral intervention, and biomedical treatment. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymetica, and we'll be right back.
1: Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley right here on Voice America Health & Wellness.
2: Uh, various therapeutic diets that help uh, children, like gluten-free, casein-free, specific carbohydrate diet, body ecology, diet, you were talking about how much STD and body ecology has when we think about diet, we think about digestion and healing the gut, you were talking about that, and when we think about digestion, we think about enzymes. Are enzymes more like a part of special diet or more like a biomedical therapy, do you think?
3: You know, I think, um, they're, more, I think they're both, I, but I would really categorize them in the diet. I like seeing them with the diet um, together. I feel like they're a great team together. You kind of can't have one without the other. And um, so I, I would probably categorize them more in the diet section. However, even after saying that, they, um, they do have therapeutic enzymes that you take away from food. Those I might even categorize more in the biomedical part, if that makes any sense.
2: Okay, so a therapeutic enzyme would be like something that helps clean the blood in between meals? Or?
3: Yes, it's something in between meals you take on an empty stomach, and um, it goes in there and, and, um, and helps um, get rid of things that are dead, damaged, and don't belong, and the, um, which they call the 3Ds, if that helps you remember it easier. And uh, the, um, the digestive enzymes would be um, something you would take with food, and I would, that's why I would categorize one with diet and one with biomedical Uh, And, again, you can't, for me, I always like to, you can't really have one without the other because, for me, I like to think of it as when you're having a good piece of, you know, something good for your body, even if it's really um, healthy, like, let's say, broccoli, but your body can't break it down, um, that's not going to be helpful. Um, You're not going to be able to absorb the nutrients. Having that enzyme to help break down and digest that piece of broccoli, let's say, will actually help you absorb the minerals, the vitamins, and uh, do the digestive process the right way. So that's why enzymes kind of have to go with the food when it comes to digestive enzymes. Okay, so d-
2: digestive enzymes both help you absorb the nutrition, which is beneficial to the body, and also help heal the gut in that, um, well, specific carbohydrate diet has a, a saying that anything that's not um, digested is hurt, you know, hurtful to that effect. I'm kind of paraphrasing there. So it doesn't allow as much. To be sitting around
3: um, undigested, hurting you. Absolutely, because when it's sitting there undigested, in a sense, it's like fermenting, and um, a lot of bad bacteria and, like, I call it like the bad guys are kind of, you know, collecting in there. So we really want to be able to eliminate, um, and that's just kind of like having a natural, healthy body. If you, you take in food, you want to be able to eliminate it, absorb the good things out of it, and remove the toxins. And so, um, basically, when you have those enzymes, that's what's helping that happen. That's helping that process. It's being able to really break it down and um, and help you digest it properly.
2: All right. Yeah, I have a friend whose um, son went to the same school mine went to when they were both taught. She had started a special diet and digestive enzymes when her son was two or three years old. So when he got to the school, he was able to get his own juice with enzymes out of the refrigerator. They wouldn't give his enzymes to him. <laughs> Um, and she thinks that made a big difference in his success at school and recovery.
3: Well, I absolutely could see that because when you're not feeling good, I know, I know for a lot of people, like when I, okay, I'm not, I don't eat the best food. I give my son the best foods possible, but I personally, you know, I sometimes don't eat the best food. So like let's say I ate like a piece of pizza or something. My stomach does not feel good after I ate pizza. I just, it's, no matter what I do, my stomach just will not feel good after I ate pizza. Well, imagine these children who aren't, like, let's say they're not even eating pizza, they're eating a special diet, and they're still not feeling good. Their stomach might feel bloated, they might feel crampy. It's just not digesting the right way. And so imagine now we're trying to work with our special needs child, and we're trying to, like, help them, but they're just really not feeling good. Well, why not then help them and give them that benefit of giving them those digestive enzymes to break down those foods so that we have the best chance of success to try to work with them cause they're feeling better, their you know their stomach isn't hurting them, they don't have a headache, and it just would make sense. It just I mean that's how we would feel.
2: Right. Right. It's it's compassionate to um you know do your homework um and uh, help with you know interve- and interventions that can be done safely that help the kids feel and function better.
3: Absolutely. <laughs>
2: okay. Um let's move on to talk about the other uh, modalities that you used, um, was diet the first thing you did, or did you start educational behavioral therapy simultaneously, or sensory integration, or other bi- biomedical interventions?
3: I started diet um, within the first two weeks of getting the diagnosis, and then uh, basically uh, the next week after that is when I started um, the therapies. And the first one I started with was with the, the behavioral I guess, therapy, you could call it, was the Sunrise program. Okay, so tell us about Sunrise
2: and how that helped Jackson.
3: Well, um, basically, Sunrise was the, the kind of the place where I kind of got the hope, <laughs> and, you know, that's where that gave me, like, the motivation to keep going. Um, it was a place that, um, it, they're based out of Sheffield, Massachusetts, and it's a place where parents go for a five-day training program, and you go there, and you really get the tools in order to go home and really implement how to help your child. Now, some people have their children in school and so they do it as an after school program. Other people like myself, I actually keep my son at home and I do a full time in a sense like home school program um, implementing the Sunrise tools I've learned. Um, and when I when I went there, I had a child who had, you know, no language, he wasn't talking anymore, wasn't working. Um, to now today, I have a child who talks in, you know, five word sentences, looks and laughs and and wants to learn to write his name and is really being interested in, you know, wanting to read. Now, even by saying that, that doesn't mean that it was just one thing I did, but that was kind of like the foundation of, like, how it started to build that trust because the Sunrise program, the unique thing about them is that they do something called joining. And what that means is um, I heard them say, the children show us the way in and and we show them the way out. And what that means is that we really join with them when they're, stimming and um, if they're doing a repetitive behavior, we're going to really try to connect with them and do that so we can kind of build that bridge and build that trust. And That's really where it started for me with Jackson. I I did that first um, and I started to really grow and that's how I started really implementing a lot of like getting him to eat and try all the new foods even though I had started it, it was a little bit harder not having that trust built. And then going on to then learning more about sensory integration where I could really understand there was something going on with his sensory processing and really trying to figure out, okay, what, what's going to help him? What, what does he need? You know, is he sensitive to sound? Is he sensitive to, to, to light? Is he sensitive to touch? Um, I can remember when he wouldn't even wear his uh, T-shirt. I could not get my child to wear a T-shirt for probably almost a year. Um, so I started learning about tactile defensiveness and trying to figure out what that was, which led me to the Will Barger Protocol, which is a brushing technique. And I know we don't have a lot of time, so I'm going over this kind of rapidly, but basically each thing led me to something else, um, and um, that's where we're at today. So it, was, it started with diet, then went on to sunrise, then went on to really understanding the sensory, um, and in between that was where I also started working with a Dan doctor, or Defeat Autism Now doctor, I should say, and um, and really starting to learn the biomedical parts, because a lot of the biomedical was also contributing to a sensory. So when he was biomedically off, I saw lots more happening in the sensory and really trying to, in a sense, put a sensory diet together uh, for him. And what that means is just different exercises, different tools, different um, things we did in the morning when he first woke up to get him kind of like, you know, sensory ready for the day, if that makes any sense.
2: Yes, it does make sense. So if I um, kind of uh, coalesce everything that you've been saying, it sounds like the... The diet helps the educational behavioral therapy that naturally had sensory-friendly techniques incorporated in it. The biomedical treatment reinforces all of this. It sounds like a multi-treatment approach is really appropriate and and helpful, at least it was for Jackson.
3: Absolutely. I mean, and there's other things to look at, not to overwhelm people, but there are things also, just look in your own environment. Look at the water in your house. Look at the air filters in your house. Um, you know, we've done other things like infrared sauna and different natural things to really try to help, um, you know, help him in a sense detoxify. And, and that's, that's why I believe is where he is today is because we didn't just stick with one thing. It was really trying to figure it out. And we also, we've also I didn't mention things in that, you know, that didn't work, but there are also things that you try that just don't work and you move on and that's okay. At least you tried it. But I mean, I kind of feel like you have to do what makes sense for you. And I know a lot of times when I go to conferences, parents will come up to me and they'll be in tears and they'll say, "Everything is so overwhelming, and I don't know where to start. Everything sounds so good." And what I typically tell people is, you know, don't think about it for about three days, and whatever comes to you, whatever feels right for you, then I would go ahead and you know start that. but um, for for example, like the Sunrise program, if people are interested, there's some even if they're not interested in going to the program. They have great tools on their website. It's a www.autismtreatment.org. They can look at that website. Um, there's other websites like the Alert Program website. I think it's just www.alertprogram, but I'm not quite sure on that, um, that website. Um, and then uh, just you know, continue to educate yourself on different, um, different things, like the listening program was something else we did. And um, do your homework. You know, figure out what makes sense for your child. And you know you don't have to do everything tomorrow, um, and just really take it day by day.
2: Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about the sensory integration modalities you used in a little bit more detail during this segment. If we have another minute, so tell us a little bit about Wilbarger, a little bit about Alert, a little bit about the listening program.
3: Sure. Okay. Well, the Wilberger protocol is the brushing technique, and what's important to know about that. When I got trained, um, I actually went to Patricia Wilbarger and her daughter. And what was important about that to know, a lot of OTs were in the class, and they thought they were knowing already how to do it. And they really weren't getting it right, um, from what she was saying. So when you're looking for somebody to understand, um, the tact, it's more of a tactile defensiveness. um, uh, When your child maybe can't handle the tags on their shirts, or they can't handle um, light pressure, deep pressure, or anything that has to do with touch, Um, basically something important to know about is, Look for an OT that hopefully has been trained by Will Barger herself or really knows what they're doing. And when I say that, make sure they're understanding that it's every two hours um, is the tip the right protocol. It's you're supposed to brush every two hours and you're also supposed to have a joint compression um, immediately after the brushing. Um, and those are just something to look into. The ALERT program is um, really great, especially if your child's in school, to really try to see if either one, you can take the program yourself or find an OT that's already taken it and really educate the teacher and the other classmates in the classroom um, on what they can do to help um, in the the classroom situation.
2: All right. We're going to break um, just to let everyone know that Kristen Selby-Gonzalez will be presenting on uh, these sensory integration modalities at the Autism One Conference in May. Thanks to our sponsor, Enzymedica, and we'll be right back.
4: at www.enzymedica.com. Big up and chat. He'll get
0: you out of the to your head.
5: JackLelane.com presents Jack LaLane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. Each week, Jack is joined by Elaine LaLane and his nephew, bodybuilder, kinesiologist, and personal trainer, Chris LaLane, to answer your questions and help you overcome your fitness roadblocks. That's three times the diet and fitness know-how, three times the entertainment. Tune in every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific to Jack LaLane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network.
0: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry.
2: Well, Kristen, I know that you did many biomedical interventions with uh, Jackson and what would you say were the, the ones that helped him most significantly?
3: Um, I would probably say the B12. Um, we do B12 injections. And then also just recently, uh, um, within this last year, um, aerosol glutathione. Um, I've seen huge, huge improvements um, with that. Um, and then if you were to put enzymes in there, um, part of the therapeutic, if I did all three of those, is really where I saw some of the biggest changes with Jackson.
2: Okay, so methylcobalamin uh, MB12 injections uh, done sub Q, I assume. Mm-hmm. Aerosolized glutathione and uh, enzymes. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so, did the other biomedical in- interventions you did, like far infrared sauna and such, did they um, help with other pieces here and there? Was it all? Did they all complement each other?
3: I think they all complimented each other. I think I didn't see huge, huge, you know, dramatic things. It wasn't like he came out of the infrared sauna and was speaking in sentences. But I did see, I know that that had to support other things we were doing. So it was more of like it was all complementing each other and really just supporting the other things we were doing.
2: Right. Okay. Um, how is Jackson doing now? What does he do now that he didn't used to do? You mentioned some things. How is he with peers and in
3: school and? Well, we still homeschool him at the moment, so he is homeschooled, and he, um, but he is doing very, very well. He is um, just recently really, he's six years old, and he's just recently really been interested in wanting to, like, learn to read, and so he's always grabbing a book and telling me, Mommy, read, and, and he'll sit on my lap, and he'll, you know, take his finger and he'll ask me, what is this, what is this, and pointing to the different words, and so we're really getting excited about that, and. And when I say he's six and he's doing well, he's he's still delayed. I mean, again, he's progressed. I mean, I would say he's probably at maybe a four-and-a-half-year-old level. But we have to remember where he started from four years ago. He's I almost think of it as we started at zero, and um, so we've come a long way. Um, he's, you know, very interested in wanting to learn to write his name. He loves to sing. Um, he's very interested in the children. He's a little bit shy and a little bit fearful still, and so that's something we'll be working on this year and, I'll, I'll report back to you maybe next year on that. But yeah, he's very, you um, know, he looks at the children now. And just recently we were in the neighborhood and we were walking and a little boy came up to him and he said, hi. And um, I was teaching Jackson to say, like, hey, dude, what's going on? And trying to teach him how kids talk. And he says, hi, dude. And The little boy says, hi, what's your name? He says, Jackson. And he's like, all right, see you later. And Jackson says, see you later. You know, and the little boy has no idea that, you know, anything that Jackson was different in any way. And, you know, Jackson, I could see in his face he looked like he had this kind of, like, sense of accomplishment. Yeah. And so it was very exciting. So we're just there at the beginning stages of that, and um, I'm very excited to see how that emerges. Wow,
2: that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, you sound like you have traveled figuratively. Um, a little bit literally, I think, to the end of the Earth for Jackson, and uh, tell us the literal part about how you're traveling.
3: Okay, well, you know, it started, really the travel started of just me going, I'd read a book, and if somebody wrote uh, on a subject, I would fly there and figure out and want to be trained by them, and um, it started all of a sudden, I started getting, like, all these sort of, you know, certifications and really becoming knowledgeable on a lot of different subjects, and then... Today, I'm the Director of Autism Education for Enzamedica. And it was so exciting because um, something we're doing at Enzymetica is really cool. Um, Tom, our president, is just amazing. And he basically um, has agreed and just so excited to, um, he actually came up with the initiative of autism. That's our initiative for, um, for 2009 for Enzamedica. And what that means is um, we came up with this idea called the Grassroots Tour. And what that is is we're bringing the Autism Treatment Center of America, um, and together, um, and Enzymedica is funding this, to where we're going to be um, going around the United States this year, and Enzymedica is donating a um, hundred scholarships, 100% scholarships to the Autism Treatment Center of America for families, so they'll be 100% funded, and there's hundred of them going to be given out. And Ron K. Kaufman, who is the CEO of the Autism Treatment Center of America, and myself will be co-speaking around the United States um, starting in February. And I think the kickoff tour is in um, Florida. And what we'll be talking about is we'll be talking about the Sunrise program. We'll be talking about diet, biomedical, sensory integration, enzymes, um, different ways to clean up the house, and really just giving parents um, kind of like a starting place of where they can start and go home with tools um, how to implement that like that day. Um, So it's very, very exciting, and I've traveled you know, all different conferences the last several years and, um, and just, really, um, just really just kept educating myself and meeting the best of the best of who I thought was the best of the best and just surrounding myself with just really great people.
2: Well, Kristen, I want to thank you for sharing with listeners how you moved Jackson forward on the road to recovery, your positive and encouraging attitude, and for traveling through America to help educate other parents on how to help their children.
3: Can I give the website, just for updates?
2: Um, you betcha. They're,
3: yeah, if they're, if you guys are interested in a grassroots tour, I don't know all the different cities will be in, or we're going to be all over. Um, check to the website, www.agrt.org. That stands for Autism Grassroots Tour. So it's www.agrt.org, and I'll have more updates on that.
2: www.agrt.org, OK. Um, Let us know a little bit about what you'll be talking about at the Autism One 2009 conference in Chicago, uh, which is May 28th to 24th. You'll be speaking on Friday.
3: Okay. Yeah, well, I am so, so excited, and thank you so much for inviting me to that. I'm just, I can't wait. And um, I'll be talking, my lecture will be called Sensory Savvy 101, And I'll be talking about different, um, just the kind of like the beginning steps of just all different types of sensory. So I'll be talking about um, the listening program and bone conduction. I'll be talking about the Will Barger protocol. I'll be talking about the ALERT program. And I also will be talking about the handle program and just kind of different ways you can go home and start and look at how to maybe implement a sensory diet um, with your child and what that looks like and, um, and just really just some real basic things on where to go and how to get help.
2: Second at the Autism One conference at 11.30 a.m. for our listeners. And you can see the schedule for the Autism One conference at www.autismone.org and click the schedule icon. So, again, um, we have a few more minutes, Kristen. So is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to talk about, Um, any of the biomedical interventions or a take-home
3: message for parents? You know, I would just say for parents that are listening, you know, I know things sometimes sound like they can be hard or overwhelming. And again, I know it's for this previous, but, you know, just take it day by day and that, you know, you, you're going to do your best. And, you know, I remember being at, I was actually, it was interesting, Terry. it was my first Autism One conference. And um, I remember sitting in this, like, forum, and somebody said, oh, my goodness, it's just too hard. I just can't do it all. This is just too hard. It's too complicated. I don't know. I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't raised for this. I, I I didn't sign up for this. And this one grandfather stood up and he said, you know, do we have something better to do? And you know, is there something more important to do than to help our children today? And that has always really just sat with me. And I I always often think of that, especially when I start feeling sorry for myself and I kind of put myself in the oh I don't want to do this kind of thing because we all get there. And you know, then I think, you know what? That's so true. Do we have something better to do? I mean, what's much, what's more magical? And what's more fulfilling than getting to see our child look at us for the first time or tell us I love you for the first time or even get to touch our hand for the first time? And I know every night I put my son to bed now. I remember the feeling I thought that he was never going to be able to do anything that when I first heard the first prognosis of like what his, what his future was going to look like. And I put him to bed now and I, I cover him up and I say, good night, Jackson, I love you. And he'll say, I love you too, mommy. And... You know, he'll joke back with me and he'll say, I love you more. And I'll say, no, I love you more. And I close the door and I think, you know, he told me that was not possible. So wherever Jackson ends up or wherever, you know, whatever his life ends up looking like, I know that I've done the best that I can possibly do and I'm enjoying the ride and I'm enjoying the journey and I'm meeting amazing people along that journey and along that path. And just don't give up and know that it's going to be okay at the end of the day.
2: That's beautiful, Kristen. Thank you so much for that. And thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. My guest next week will be KP Castle on the topic of herbs. And for more information, again, about the Autism One Conference, please visit www.autismone.org. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.